0: Everyone, we have uh, our guest for today, Damini Lalchan. She's a PhD candidate at University of Hertfordshire. So, Damini, our first question for you today is um just just want to start with the basics, which is what is mental health and how much of our daily lives is governed by our mental health, mental well-being.
1: Well, mental health is really a lot to do with your emotions your feelings, how you're thinking, your behavior, and so on. And it's something that guides a lot of our life, our day-to-day lives, and it plays a major role in our you know, daily livelihood. Like if your mental health is not okay, you know, you just can't process, you just can't do life, basically. And given how life is like this rat race, we're all, you know, running out there to achieve our goals and dreams because it's a competitive world that we live in. Um, You know, we we have somehow forgotten a lot about our mental health. We started to ignore it. We started to put other things before ourselves. So mental health, in my opinion, is putting, is like, it's about yourself. It's about you, your emotions, nurturing yourself um it has a huge impact on your physiological uh well-being
2: all right just to sorry uh, just to make it clear mental health is a very broad uh area of course like there are many different there are many different types of uh, mental health right
1: yes there are different types of mental health conditions you've got psychosis you've got anxiety disorders you've got uh, mood disorders and uh so on. The list is endless. But none of these mental health conditions really have a somatic, I mean, if I have to put this in layman's terms, uh, biological cues. They transpire due to social events that's happened in your life. Um, You know, like post-traumatic stress disorder comes when you have been subjected to something traumatic. And that's really it. And traumatic events happen in everybody's lives. You know, everybody goes through adverse experiences and it's normal because what's life if there is no ups and downs, you know? It's just stagnant. You're pretty much dead. That's how your ECG graphs go. So so, um, there's always ups and downs in life. And there are some people who manage to bounce back and come out resilient. However, there are some who suffer. Having said that, um, depression and panic disorders tend to be um, the highest out there, but you don't have much cases of psychosis reported globally. But depression seems to be like the common cold of mental illnesses.
2: And
0: anxiety, I
1: think. Oh, that's, that's, right. that's
0: right. Amni, there's, there's no um, way of... Uh, like, you know how when, when you have a fever, you put in a thermometer, and you check how much fever you have likewise is there any way to understand or are there any biological like you said there might not be any biological cues but are there any ways we can understand how affected someone is or when to seek help or when, yeah, when...
1: absolutely there are ways um, mm-hmm. there are ways to understand you know when you need help or how to recognize a mental health problem like let's take for instance someone who's depressed who's you know um it's you know we believe that it's okay to feel sad you know it's part of our emotions um but you know feeling sad for a prolonged period and then that affecting your day-to-day life then that's a problem wherein you cannot process you cannot do your work you find it really hard to just carry out the simplest of tasks be it getting up from bed you know getting out out of bed or just going to sleep and then you know being caught with all these negative emotions basically that's really it that's the indicator and if that goes on for a very prolonged period of time that's really when you know that you're suffering from a mental health problem that's really when you should seek help The good starting point is definitely reaching out to your family and friends who you trust. Uh, But having said that, you know, they can only help you probably like, say, 5%. They're not going to help you deal with the underlying problem out there. Because what happens is when you talk to friends and family, honestly, they're just going to tell you, well, look, uh, what you're going through is normal. You will get out of it you know, this is life or say, you know, this is all what you hear, right? Um, And it's never a form of active listening sort of conversation. But when you go to a psychologist or a mental health practitioner, they ask you what's happening, what led to these events, why you feel this way. So you're going down to the roots of what exactly caused this problem or why exactly are you feeling this way? And, you know, if I'm being very honest, this helps the person to grow, you know, after you go to therapy, you come out, you become a changed person, you become a better version of yourself, you come out even stronger. And feeling sad or wanting to seek help is really not a sign of weakness. And that's really what people view depression or other mental health conditions to be they view it as a sign of weakness they view seeking help as a sign of weakness and it's not I think it's a sign of courage you should go out there and seek help because that's the best thing one could do to themselves because if you ignore it one fine day you're going to end it all right and that's not what you want to happen that's when weakness kicks in you know when you decide to end it all so best to go seek help uh, whatever that's discussed in that room with your therapist is always going to be confidential because um, you know, psychologists and many men- uh, many medical practitioners are bound to the patient practitioner confidentiality. So it's basically like you're talking to a third person who has no idea about who you are. But when you go and talk to family and friends and you want to tell that deep seated underlying feelings, you know. It's, it's like you have those fears of being judged. Out here, you're not. And uh, how this works is like, if you're thirsty, you ask for a glass of water, you're handed that glass of water, but it's down to you to drink that water. No one's going to help you drink it, drink from the glass. So these kind of therapies requires the patient to cooperate with the practitioner.
2: Oh, I have one up question about, you know, because... I know every case is very different from one another, but... That's right. Maybe people might think, am I build this way? Or is there some event or maybe a series of events that made me who I am now and made me have this problem? Because, you know, maybe, I don't know how therapy works, but you trace back to some event in your maybe past life that kind of affected you. And if you deal with that, then you'll be fine? Or is it more... Like a, cog- like a more like a brain thing, like it's like, you, you were born this way.
1: It's a combination of both. You know, we have this common argument in psychology or in psychiatry, if you will, uh, about the nature-nurture theory. Um, nature just means that uh, all of these conditions, these symptomologies that's associated to mental health problems is uh, rooted from biological causes. Uh, it could be genetic. Um, So if say, for instance, a parent was diagnosed with schizophrenia, the child is likely to have it or is likely to carry the genes for it and stuff like that. And it's going to pass on to the next generation. Uh, Yes, there are, you know, biological theories for mental health conditions. Like if you take depression, for instance, um, you know, you have low levels of serotonin, which is a neurochemical that's responsible for happiness. if, you have, if you're talking about schizophrenia, it's high levels of dopamine, which is responsible. Again, um, you know, it's, it's also responsible for happiness and uh, pleasure. So those are quite high in um, patients with schizophrenia. Uh, so there are biological causes, but these biological causes do not trigger out of the blue, right? Because this is to do with your emotions. So you have the nature, nurture theory which means that the society influences you, you know, life events or how you were raised, really. So in some way, you were born this way or in some way, life made you this way.
0: Tamini, I had actually two follow-up questions regarding what you initially said. Was that, uh, first of all, um, I think a huge thing which stops people from seeking help is that whether the conversations that they have with their uh, psych, psych, psychiatrist, psychologist, um, if if they're confidential? Because uh, a lot of these people, they might be the ashamed of what they did in their past, or they just they just feel shy about talking about their problems, or aren't really articulate about their problems. So these are three things that face at least from my point of view i feel like people face on a day-to-day basis and uh, why is there any way we can understand from the other side that how these three things can be tackled like you know how can someone feel more safe like obviously you can't drag someone to uh to, to go to a doctor or for example uh, mental health professional but at least so that everyone's more open to the idea of seeking help first of all and secondly um when like uh, you said uh, to measure pe- measure people on prolonged basis uh, the reason why i asked you about um, the the thermometer example is because i saw a recent um, stats which was taken in uh, 2017 by john hopkins which said that oh, there, there's a growing trends where younger people are more affected by mental health issues so that means that burden generally falls on their parents like let's say and, and it's said that 10 to 29 years old okay maybe those who are, have reached a, probably a teenage they still might be able to articulate but those who are younger, uh, my sister is 14 years old. And if she's uh, like, you know, going through some kind of an issue, how, as like a younger, as like an older brother, am I supposed to understand her state of mind? Like, what am I supposed to pay close attention to?
1: That's a very good question, actually, and a very detailed question. Um you're right, like a lot of young people are susceptible to mental health conditions only because, you know, uh, mainly because of the hormonal changes that people go through, especially starting from the age of 10, because puberty starts, I mean, starts post the age of 10. So with the hormonal imbalances, it's pretty natural that it's going to affect your moods, it's going to affect how you think. And how you feel, you start to feel like, well, so so the society has you know, done injustice to you because you're not able to voice your opinion out. And that's what a lot of teenagers feel like, given people of your sister's age, they start to rebel and they start to feel, well, you know, no one's understanding me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely the hormones, right? Uh, but also the pressure that comes with it. Now in Asia, you have a lot of teenagers who uh, go through a lot of pressure in terms of education, like uh, as an Asian woman myself, I've had my parents pressurize me to study well. Not pressurized, but I see the good in it now, of course. Um, But, you know, those days, it would have definitely felt like a pressure. You know, if you don't get 100% marks, you're always asked, where were the three marks if you got 97, right? They would ask you, did you eat that three marks? worth of question, were you hungry at the exam? So, you know, those kind of pressures, the sarcasm and all that comes with it, you know, you just start feeling like, Oh my God! My parents are not recognizing my efforts and all, and you feel that the society is against you. So I don't blame them to feel that way because you know we often forget that we have been in this stage, and our parents too has been in our you know has been in that position, has been a teenager or has been in their early twenties, experienced the same things as what we must have experienced probably ten years ago. Um, you know, so you tend to forget what has happened in your life. So that's pretty much it. And the cycle will repeat, unfortunately, when we become parents. Um, So you know, that's, that's, that's one that's there. That's the one thing in terms of age. But yes, coming back to that age factor where you said that that particular age group is known to have mental health issues. That's correct. And it is a mostly people between the ages of 10 to 25, that is when it really affects people. And I feel why 25 is the last age, to be very honest, is because uh, that's pretty much when most of them start to settle down or they're, you know, they fit into adulthood. You know, it takes you a while to get used to this whole adulting experience, if you will, because you, know, you you're practically practically an adult at eighteen. and It takes a while to set, uh, get used to that whole regime of having to do things for yourself. Because when you were a kid, it was all spoon fed to you. You know that the burdens, the pressure, and that's how people fall prey to becoming depressed or becoming anxious. So it, it's it's normal. It's understandable. There is a legitimate reasoning, uh, but. Yeah, how you can support as a brother, like how can you be a support to your 14-year-old sister as a brother? Well, I would say talk to her, be a source of support, listen to her. Well, I have a cousin sister who's 16 and she goes through all these uh, things at school and, you know, she studies in a girl's school. So, you know, girls are known to be... (laughs) a bit of a handful when it comes to certain things, you know, gossips and whatnot. And, you know, I, I definitely try and listen to her. You know, I ask her, well, why do you feel this way? You know, I don't give her any advice because I feel she can navigate it. And, uh, you just have to listen. They just want someone to listen. They want that attention. And that's probably what you can do. Just listen. All right.
0: And, uh, Coming to the first part of the same question was that how, in general, let's say someone who has gone through something in their past lives, but aren't that comfortable to talk about either because of those three reasons I mentioned, either they can't articulate it, they're too shy to talk yeah. in the first place, or like, you know, they just don't feel comfortable enough to speak to another person, whether it's, let's say a medical professional, their family or anyone else, what can we do to reach out to them?
1: You know, no matter how much we sugarcoat this, I'm being very honest, like no matter how much we sugarcoat that, well, there is a confidentiality maintained and whatnot, right? It's down to the individual themselves to seek that help. It's like if the person, if the patient is not willing to get that help or is not able to acknowledge that when, if they come and meet a mental health professional, they will get that help and they will start feeling, they will start feeling better. Um, You know. They won't get it, and unfortunately, the problem is media has portrayed a lot of mental health professionals in the negative light uh, in the past. you know uh, when you think of mental health professionals back in the days, they think of us as people who administer eCT like shock therapies or tranquilize patients and whatnot. They don't uh, think that, oh well, you know, we're going to be talking about. It's just like a chat with a third person who doesn't know you, who's not going to judge you, who doesn't know what you have achieved in life and whatnot, right? They are a third person. They don't have any connection with you. And honestly, you should understand that even if the practitioner judges you, well, their judgment has nothing to do with you. They are not going to be directly linked with you. But as someone on the other side, I I don't have rights to treat patients because uh, in the UK we have something called the decline side. Uh, But having studied a little bit about clinical psychology and specializing in psychopathology, I can say one thing that we don't hold judgments because when we decided to choose this career, we chose it for the betterment of people, you know? We didn't choose it to go and judge people out there. I mean, if we wanted to go judge people out there, we could have been a marriage broker. <laughs> a marriage broker in India, <laughs> so yeah.
2: Uh, sorry, I had a follow-up question about, because I don't know if you know, but in the UK, there's a very high um, suicide rate in uh, males. Uh, and uh, like so do you think I don't know if there's like a difference but if from for men is more hard to seek help or you I don't know if you you saw that if you recognize this
1: well it is it is indeed it's very hard for uh, men to seek help firstly only because let's tap into theories of evolution Um, let's go back to the early man days where men were known to be the provider the family whilst women were meant to be the caregiver so evolution designed us in such a way where the man has to appear to be strong you know because men used to hunt for food so they had to be strong chivalrous and whatnot and the women had to be this emotional being caring for their children nurturing loving their child so they were viewed to be a little bit of the weak the weaklings if you will so yeah Evolution, that evolutionary attitude would pass down from generation. And, you know, modern men, modern man finds it even difficult to go and seek help because that attitude of being a care, uh, being a protector continues. The attitude of being chivalrous, the attitude of being strong is not going to change. Um, You know, no matter how much a society has changed or how open the society has started to get about gay marriages or whatnot, you know? Still, it has uh, stopped a lot of men from going and seeking help. And, uh, you know, in some societies, um, especially in the Asian society, if a man goes and seeks help, you know, they are viewed to be more of a woman or more feminine, which is really sad. People don't realize that we're not invincible towards mental health problems. It affects everybody. It affects both genders equally, and um, that's the sad reality. And no one acknowledges that fact.
0: Coming to our next question, that is, um, which is a more personal question about you, is that <laughs> knowing knowing that uh, you know human beings are so complex, and that the fact that no one rule can define the whole humanity in, in like in its entirety, what, and knowing how individuals can be really, like, you know, every individual has their own set of rules and our own way of thinking. Then what made you like, you know, um, go for this field of study?
1: Wow. That's a very good question. (laughs) Um, Actually, uh, pursuing a career in psychology or becoming a psychologist was really not my first choice. If I'm going to be very honest with you, I wanted to just like every other good Asian kid, like I'm half Indian, half Sri Lankan. I wanted to do medicine. That was my first choice. I remember as a kid, I used to sing that nursery rhyme Polly pocket that, um, something to do with the doctor and all. I love that nursery rhyme. I loved playing doctor, doctor as a kid. And, uh, I did my UK CAT at the age of um, 17, I missed by a couple points and being the adamant soul I am that I want to enter university at the age of 18 and I can only do that exam once a year. So I decided to go home and tell my parents, hey, I'm not doing medicine, I'm doing something else and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Having said that, if I did medicine, I wanted to specialize in psychiatry. I still remember I went to my school principal, had like a three-hour chat with her. I was crying and I was like, but this is the end of life and whatnot. And then she told me, "Um, hey, you know, you're doing psychology for your AS level and A levels and you're very good at it. And you wanted to do psychiatry if you did medicine. So why not? Pursue a career in psychology, you just don't have the rights of prescribing drugs. So I felt better that day. I went home and I told my mom, I'm going to do uh, psychology. And that was a time my mom and I were not speaking to each other for six months because she was upset that I gave up on medicine because it's like this child has been talking about it for 12 years, like for since she was like a four year old kid, she's been talking about wanting to pursue a career in medicine and why suddenly did she come up to me and say that, no, I'm not doing medicine, right? So she was in a shock and my mom accepted it. So my parents accepted it. So I'm very lucky that I had that acceptance. However, having said that, like my extended family didn't accept it they said that well if you pursue a career in psychology you'd be nothing but a compounder and i don't blame them because you know what it's that typical asian belief right um, even if i wanted to pursue a career in psychiatry if i did medicine they would still steer me away from doing that because you know it's 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 painted in a very negative light um psychology and psychiatry because they think you'll be harmed by the patient or you, you don't have much respect out there. Because let's be honest, if I come back to India with my degree, uh, I'd be termed as a mad doctor. Uh, in Hindi, they'd call me a Pagaloki doctor. And that's probably the case in every local languages in India, which is funny. Um, but it's sad. Only because the thing is, all these concepts in psychology and psychiatry are originated from the Western world right? Uh, the, the words itself that are linked to psychology is, are derived from Greek and Latin. We don't even have any word for psychology in Persian, in Sanskrit, or in Dravidian language, or even let's take the oldest spoken, currently spoken language that is Tamil. You don't even have a word for it. And it's really sad. Like, I mean, Ritu, Ritraj, I mean, do you do you think there's a word for psychology in Hindi? No, right? I don't think so. Yeah. Don't think so. So when you talk about depression, it's always going to be associated as a sign of weakness, as a sign of feeling sad, and that's that's really it. So it's always rooted down to your emotions, and people never respected that, but they respected, you know, a cardiologist or a <laughs> medical, like a gynecologist, because you're doing something worthwhile in their opinion, but they don't see that, well, if you're a mental health professional, you're, you're doing something that's worthwhile equally. And psychology has immense applications throughout the world. Like everything that we do is from here. This controls everything. Your mind controls everything. So people don't realize that, unfortunately. So having said that, yeah, I did get some backlashes from the family. When I decided to pursue a PhD, that's when the dynamic changed. That's when they started accepting. Because I feel in our society, it is like, if you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, then that's when, bam, you're accepted. You're eligible for the society. So probably it's because only in a couple of years time, I would you know, have a doctor title, which doesn't really mean big for me it's only a license for me to be a researcher but for my family it means a big thing it's like a it's like a status symbol oh, i'm i'm saying for some people in my family not for my parents really but yeah that's that's really the case
2: you have it well raj he was a lawyer and now he's doing film like he's he's the <laughs> worst <laughs>
1: yeah yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, if people like me, like Raj, Raj and I had to go back, you know, they would just be like, "Well, Raj was a lawyer, and why did he go into a career in film?" For me, and be like, "Well, why are you dealing with people with mental health problems?" You know, it's 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 weird.
0: I know it's it's. I had to deal with those questions that why after five years of law are you getting into film? Why? why yeah, I mean, it was my my choice to make. It's not anyone else's choice to make in the first place. It,
1: it was similarly my passion to pursue a career in uh, psychology um, or initially psychiatry. You know, it was yeah. my passion because I believe that people with mental health problems in South Asian communities are treated very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, like my cousin brother, he has a learning disability, and uh, basically, he got. Uh, meningitis as a 29 days old baby and that damaged his brain cells as a result it has affected his learning speech and water abilities. so he's not he's not like an average 20 year old but having said that uh, growing up around him I'm just four years older to him I've always viewed him as a normal kid he used to pull my hair as a kid like so I still thought of him as my annoying little brother so, you know, I never I never viewed him as a child with special needs. And when I heard that he, when as a kid, when I heard he went to special needs school, I used to be so jealous. I used to be like, man, I'm not going to a special school. My brother is going to a special school. So I thought he had some luxury. And slowly, you know, you obviously learn what it really means. Um, so I've also been exposed to people telling us, or like, uh, do this prayers or do these rituals, go make this offering, and he should be fine. Well, I think as a kid, I recognized that this is not going to work because this is something to do with his, you know, body. It's, it's biological. It's, it, no amount of rituals is going to sort this matter out. We've just got to love him, nurture him, and stuff like that. Uh, so I didn't know the exact words as a kid growing up. So I have seen stigma firsthandedly, be it with my cousin brother, who I'm very close to. And uh, even when I decided to choose a career in psychology, even I still get it. So the haters are going to hate. You've just got to follow your passion and dreams. But having said that, we don't treat my brother, we don't treat my cousin brother any differently. If he's wrong, he gets the equal amount of shoutings as we get. So he gets caught for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Speaking about you know uh, media, uh, you spoke about it. Media villainizing psychiatrists. I think my earliest memory of like a positive, you know, experience of media showing um, psych- psychiatrists or psychologists in a positive manner was this film called. I, I don't think Sardar would know, but if if you would know this film called Bhurbuleya, where Akshay Kumar played a psychiatrist, and that was I think the first time a psychiatrist was shown in more of a positive light. Even though throughout through some parts of the movie, he was still called *pagaloka doctor*, as you as you said rightfully said he was yeah. called that. He was called a mad doctor. Still, it was I think the first positive outcome, and I think slowly. And surely, Dear Zindagi even gave a better, um, a better um, understanding of psychologist work. And um, why, what do you think, So, what changed over the years? Why do you think, so? such a positive outcome? Slowly but surely, there's like a more positive outlook towards psychology and psychiatrists.
1: You know, I think it's firstly because we are in a fast-paced world where people are now requiring the needs of wanting to go see a mental health practitioner, but somehow the societal pressure hinders them from going and seeking that support, going and seeking that help, which is very um, disappointing, unfortunately. Um, So that's pretty much why we have seen that change in Indian cinema, particularly where they are, you know, portraying psychologists in a, in the, in the right sort of limelight however still you know when you're talking about mental health conditions it's still not well painted because if you look at movies like Urtap and where they talk about a drug addict that's not painted really well you know it's, it's still not and a lot of unfortunately there is not a lot of fact checks that go into directions of these movies and uh, I feel that there should be you know especially when you're portraying things like psychosis they show a person who wants to go murder someone but the person with psychosis wants to go has the urge of murdering people which is wrong because i think when you have something like psychosis like schizophrenia specifically the person with schizophrenia they tend to be disconnected completely with the society they don't want to interact with anybody they don't have any trust on people so they have like issues with their relationships and having said that the only thing that triggers them to take these lethal moves are the hallucinations and delusions that they experience so it's just like to reduce that stress that is associated to getting that episode of hearing voices or you know getting these visions just to stop that, they take those lethal moves, which is definitely dangerous. And you know, if it goes unnoticed or if it's not attended to very well, right? uh, Through means of CBT or combined with drug therapy, if that's not maintained those treatment regimes, then definitely uh, people will take those lethal moves, right? If they are diagnosed with psychosis and schizophrenia, but I don't think we should be panicked about schizophrenia or psychosis. Although they are great, they are big deal uh, because it, you know you don't you don't have many people with schizophrenia or psychosis out there roaming around, but you have a lot of people who are depressed, and that's a greater problem. It's worse than the COVID pandemic, honestly. Uh, it, it takes away lives, you know. It's it's sad, people find it they don't even want to go seek help even for an anxiety disorder people do things that are unimaginable but uh, patients with psychosis yeah i don't i don't deem them to be a big uh, threat to the society because they aren't they aren't and they are provided the right sort of care but it's again dependent on the individual their family uh, to give them that sort of support but having said that you know i just wanted to mention this point that in asia uh, it's very unfortunate that uh, mental health therapies are very expensive if you have to go visit a psychologist or a psychiatrist in uh, india it costs like over five thousand uh, five thousand rupees like per consultation which is almost like about 50 60 pounds per consultation that's That's really expensive, right? Uh, But however, in the UK, um, psychological uh, therapies are made accessible. So you can access them at your higher education institution, your school, your workplace. Um, Even, you know, you can access them at the hospitals. So, you know, NHS provides free mental health support, which is amazing but uh, there is a huge waiting list, however, for the services through the NHS, but still they do, they do help mental health conditions. Um, there are some countries that do not even uh, pay attention to mental health. Basically your, insurance, uh, your health insurance does not even cover up their mental health therapies, which is really sad because it affects everybody you know we're all susceptible to these problems we all have negative life experience we not everybody are the same all these five fingers are different you know so we're all not uh, going to be super resilient like not everybody's resilient to bounce back from something traumatic um, so yeah because it's only because everybody has different life experiences different, people raised differently and that's really the reason why it's very sad.
2: It was something just going a bit a different direction, but if you don't know the answer, is fine. But are you aware of like cults like Scientology and that kind of, uh, those kind of organizations?
1: I've heard about um, <laughs> I
2: don't know if you know too much because they offer, you know, they offer people who had traumas and who have mental health problems. They offer them a different type of cure
1: mm-hmm. and...
2: I don't, ever, I don't know if you ever saw them it's fine but because I saw that they have ways of like helping these people but it's kind of like it's not like crazy science it's not like you know like you this potion and you're you're fine you know it's actual you know they ask certain questions and they I don't know if you've heard of them and if you think it might be helpful or if it's just harmful for these people.
1: Unfortunately I haven't heard of this so I'm not in a okay. position to make any sort of <laughs> comments um, but, if I, uh, but I would still say that uh, it's always best to go see a mental health professional in case you need support. Or, you know, talk to a family or friend who you trust, who is able to provide that sort of active listening, sort of co- communication dynamic. You talk to somebody who's going to listen to you because at the end of the day, you just want to be heard, right? That's what people need. They don't want the last thing a person suffering with depression or any sort of mental health problem want to be told that, well, suck it up because this is life. This is how it is. it is. That's the last thing anybody wants to hear. You, know, you want to be heard.
0: So, Damini, uh, I'll come back to how India and the disparities are there between other countries. But before that, I just want to ask you, how has uh, your... Uh, your observership with Apollo, and then your um, your inter- I think it was an internship with the Banyan. Uh, yes, how did these these two experiences shape up your um, your, your your ideologies as a psychologist?
1: Um, so corrections, I am training to be a psychologist. So once I am yeah. done with my PhD, I'm a chartered psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it it actually helped me to understand that um, you know how the how it works right because i've done these internships i, I did my internship at the banyan after i completed my first year at uh, Hertfordshire as an undergraduate student i went for a summer holiday to india and i worked there for three months i worked with destitute uh, women with mental health conditions, most of them were raped. They were left naked on railway tracks in different parts of India. And then they were brought to this institution at, in Chennai. And uh, that's where they were cared for. And believe it or not, these women was, was, uh, is someone's mother or is someone's wife. And uh, their own family rejected them just because they were abused or just because they were raped which is really sad and that has affected them, just that rejection itself. Um, so, you know, I've dealt with those kind of people and I started to learn that, well, a lot of the things that I'm learning out here in the UK, it's so different, you know, when you see it, it's, it's sad. Like, I'm lost for words if I have to talk about this experience, if I'm going to be very honest. Like, I'm not able to articulate that experience in words. It's very painful. I have probably, you know, I have felt that empathy as a woman myself, that, oh, wow, even I too can be in their position one day, in case. Um, But... Having said that, that experience has definitely uh, shaped my belief that whatever theories that we study in psychology, although they're Westernized, it has to be tweaked a little bit when you're dealing with a different culture group. These theories may work with, uh, you know, the Caucasian group it'll work perfectly because they were tested on those groups. And these theories were all made in the you know, 18th century or, you know, in the 1900s, you know, before the 60s where actually you had migration from the uh, from the commonwealth coming into the UK, like mass migration, if you will. So all these, you know, th- these theories were not tested on a different culture group. So they're not going to really work out there like even if you take like a depression scale you still have to tweak those questions and somehow sadly you know a lot of the you know translation because most of these patients are not educated they don't speak english so when you have to translate these questionnaires to tamil or hindi they lose the meaning um, i'm not really good at uh, speaking both languages i can speak it but i'm not that proficient um, so it also there's a hindrance because you know you study everything in English and then you know certain terminologies you're not able to explain it and it takes a while to explain those things to these patients and uh, it's it's really it wasn't it was challenging but it made me understand that we should have some we should have a module that is called psychology of cultures where we should say that Uh, people think differently and we're all different no theories in this world can be generalized very easily you know there has to be these minor tweaks so you know it made me understand that Uh, then my experience at Apollo um, that was very different
2: sorry actually (laughs) I had a follow-up question with what you just said if that's okay uh because you were talking about you know everyone is very different from each other and we we are all entitled to our for you know our opinion in a way and that comes kind of talk about a bit like you know today you know in social media there's, there's a lot of like you know blocking people when they try to say something or you know like uh when someone voices their opinion instead of teaching him how to you know actually where you made a mistake they actually go and just block him or attack him, mm-hmm. I don't know if you uh, agree a lot with this type of culture or
1: not. I, I have witnessed this and uh, you know as a, as a person who uses social media, it's, it's out there, it's, become a, it's, it's a new concept really and it's become a lot more obvious during the pandemic because uh, people are filled with a lot of agitation. Uh, you know, you have nothing to do at this moment. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of anger and whatnot. Um, And, you know, people people are people at the end of the day. You know, we all have opinions. You know, we're not always gonna get it right. But this has been affecting a lot of celebrities, particularly, you know, they come out, they give their opinion, and you know, for celebrities, it's just like all eyes are on them right? And say if they said something that the mass do not agree with. They just get immediately cancelled out. Bam. There is, they're boycotted and uh, stuff like that. But people don't realize and they forget that they're human after all. They're not going to get everything right or they're not equally um, aware of certain topics, you know. Um, that's that's the problem. We've recently been having talks about nepotism. We've had celebrities complaining about living in quarantines in their mansions and getting bored. Uh, And then people just call out at these celebs and say, well, you live in a mansion, you know, you should be enjoying life while we live in a two bedroom apartment or a one bedroom apartment cooped in this tiny space. And we don't have a swimming pool. It's not like a holiday resort. You know, we are like, it's like we're in jail. Uh, so that's what a lot of people have been speaking up recently and uh, people just don't realize that they too are human, they too would feel bored sitting in that massive mansion. It's like four walls to them, just as much as how your one bedroom flat is four walls to you, right? So people don't realize that uh, and it's just the anger right now that we're experiencing that agitation of being locked up for months. Because imagine if we were going about our normal day-to-day lives, this was not going to happen. And I think now it's just more so obvious. Uh, it's it's really become too obvious now.
0: Coming back to the 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 question that I wanted to ask you was that um, can you tell us a bit about uh, your uh, thesis that you are working on currently, right?
1: absolutely i will try my best to not sound uh, to not bore everybody out there but i'm actually looking at the moderating effects of resilience on uh, the association between adverse childhood events um, and uh, psycho- psychotic personality traits um, specifically in the indian migrant group living in england and the reason why I'm doing this is because this particular group is not quite widely researched. Um, and that creates that disparity in therapies out here because most psychologists in the UK are not from BAME backgrounds. BAME is Black, Asian, minority, ethnic groups. So you don't, And most of those, most people from BAME backgrounds are psychiatrists who deal with high volume cases, like um, they're talking about cases of schizophrenia or psychosis or bipolar disorder, that's what they deal with. But psychologists don't really deal with uh, minor stuff. When you talk about psychotic personality traits, in this, we are viewing psychosis as a spectrum. People lie on the lower end of the spectrum and on the higher end. and So it's like a bell curve. So everybody is in the middle of this bell. So we all possess traits of psychosis in our personality, such as being paranoid or having issues to trust people, or it affects our relationships with family, friends, things like that. So we often, we ignore that view that, you know, everybody has these maladaptive traits in their their personality, which is probably an outcome of, some adversity that has affected the person. Uh, normally, these studies of resilience are done on post-traumatic stress disorder, wherein the person has the full-blown diagnosis. Uh, however, these kind of studies are not done on healthy people, and uh, particularly, particularly, not many studies are done on the Indian migrant group. So that's what I'm looking at. I hope that really did some justice and it was not boring
0: no no it, it definitely wasn't boring at all uh, i didn't
1: want to sound like a typical scientist and bore y'all with all the jargons
0: <laughs> uh i mean it was as simple as i think you could have put it out there i just wanted to know that are, are the skills of psychology are they mm-hmm. transferable to other fields and if so how can they be transferable
1: Yes, they are. They are transferable. Actually, we do research. So when uh, I don't know how um, psychology degrees work in other countries, but out here in the UK or in many other European countries, we are asked to do a module on research and statistics. So you can take them over and you can work as an analyst or, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who have done a degree in psychology and have gone into law. Um, only because they're able to understand people a lot more better. Specifically, they go into mental health law or uh, human rights law. You have people who take these skills and start up their own businesses. You have people who take these skills in psychology and work as the, uh, you know, they, they work as HR professionals, which is very common, actually. Um, some work as, as post-psychologists or psychologists social workers teaching so very transferable skills and also it helps you as a person to understand others a lot more better um, you know, i feel like now i can understand people a little better um, you know I, i'm i'm now able to understand where do i draw the lines in terms of uh, talking to people so i feel like This degree is a great degree, and you know the skills that you obtain from a degree in psychology is amazing. You learn how to interact with people. You're expected to give presentations. Uh, You know, you're out here in the UK. You are, I mean, psychology is viewed as a science as opposed to it being an art. So you're treated as a scientist, and you have to go out there and disseminate this knowledge to people. And actually, when you tell people that you, you study psychology, the first thing you get is, can you read my mind, which is not true. So that's not what psychology is all about. <laughs> You're learning about behaviors, emotions. So I'm not a mind reader.
2: <laughs> but you see patterns of behavior in people, right? Like that's what you try to recognize.
1: That's what we try to recognize. Yes, that's right. But I'm not a psychic. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we, no one who did a degree in psychology is able to read minds or a psychic. I get those questions. You know what I do is um, I just look at them and I be like, hmm, well, you know what? Never mind. Your mind's so boring. I just don't want to read it. <laughs> I just say that, you know, sometimes just to sound sarcastic or funny. And uh, yeah, people laugh, you know, you get a good laugh and you know, people then realize you're approachable as a person
0: one so does that mean that have other sectors been more aware of mental health especially in the corporate sector where straight aside yeah. like a, like you don't even matter to the organization so is that some place where uh, they have accepted or are more aware of mental health issues
1: yeah a lot of mass, uh, major institutions have started to invest on mental health which is really good um, they have uh you know they, they employ business psychologists or psychologists to just structure how their organizations are to work so that they get the best amount of employer employee satisfaction uh, you know, so that their workers can work better. At the end of the day, these decisions of investing a lot on mental health, uh, in corporate sector is just to generate more money, because I don't know if you've come across this, but every year in the U.S. Um, the economy loses about trillions of dollars because of people having mental health problems or getting depressed. Right, so it costs a, it has a huge cost implication on corporate sectors, and that's really why they invest that little money um, on psychologists just to prevent that massive loss that they can face if their employees are not fit. Because if your employee is not fit and you know, when you talk about fitness or being fit, you know, people often think about physical health, but it also includes your mental health. And if you're not uh, in, if you're not mentally stable or you're, uh, you know, if you're not, or healthy overall period you're not able to work efficiently it affects your efficacy when it comes to work and as a result your company goes down to a loss you as the individual would suffer so there's a lot of things that is linked to it so yeah a lot of massive institutions are definitely investing on good on mental health you know they have good hr policies now so which is great but uh, the medium-sized organizations obviously do not have that resources. Like MSMEs, they don't have those uh, uh, resources, unfortunately, but the larger ones do. And it's all about the money, right, for them. So it's the money that makes the world go around.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't read about US, but when going through, when researching about mental health, I found out that a Lancet group, Lancet, studies I think made uh, research on India and they expected India before the coronavirus um, even struck India. They said that uh, India is about to lose